everyone. Guess what? James Gunn wanted to start a relationship advice podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's that is true. unbelievable. I, I think Jenny's I can't believe doing, Chris didn't tell me this. I was Jenny Mallon Biggs and I uh, were going to start a. Uh, it, it was it was relationship advice, but just basic psychological advice. Because my whole life, I wanted to be Dr. Drew, and I told Dr. Drew this every time I was on Love Line that that's what I wanted my job to be, and uh, and uh, we were going to do this this advice show, and we had a deal to do it with this podcasting company. And then I got Guardians of the Galaxy, and I didn't have time, and I had to back out of it. And I was very bummed out about it because we were, we were working hard on doing it. Do you feel getting like... Getting started. Because like me, I love to dispense advice. Mm-hmm. I hate to take it, and I'm not great at taking my own advice at yeah. all. Um, do you feel... Are you similar to that, or are you pretty good about being... I don't know. You, you're a very disciplined person. I'm very disciplined, yeah. So, But, I mean, there are times when I, I, I know that my life goes in and out of being more disciplined about, you know, what I would think of as a spiritual aspect of my life and less discipline. Mm-hmm. So I go in and out of, you know, I'm always working hard. That's pretty consistent. Uh, and then all of a sudden I start getting a little more less comfortable in life and I start to concentrate on those things that would make me feel happier which are really simple things and once I start doing that in a more disciplined manner then I start being a lot happier and you don't have to get specific but does work interfere with your personal I mean because it this in our industry it tidal waves my personal personal yeah this is uh, this this job in particular (laughs) is very hard on on my personal life because I really have you know you know, a movie comes out like Guardians, and then I start working on Guardians Two, uh, which is, you know, we, I start working on the day the first movie came out. I started writing that script. I started, you know, writing aspects of the script even long before that. But I started actually writing the script the day the first movie came out, and then that part start sort of a normal job, you know, writing. And then as time goes on, I start to go into pre-production and then post-production. And then I'm gone from everyone's life for a long time. Yeah. Because directing really takes almost all of your time. And so anybody who's made it through to this point in your life has to have a, a very, very good, at least because I feel the same way. I mean, it's different for me because I'm not, whatever, it's a, it's a little different. But everyone in my life who's made it through to this point has to understand they have to be okay with me not getting back to them yeah. for a couple months. And That's I feel right. very selfish. And sometimes they're just like, well, why can't you just even shoot me a text? And it's like, because I don't, I want to be able to commit more fully than just an emoji. Yeah. I want to be able to talk to you and yeah. catch up and whatever. And anyway, but yeah, I'm sure. I, it's exactly the same. I think that I have friends that have to understand that I become a ghost for a few months, you know, or almost a year. I mean, I'll be here in... Atlanta shooting Guardians 2 for 10 months I'll be here um, and pre-production it's a little bit less rigorous but now that we're shooting it's it's really all of my time it's really hard when I get like those are you mad at me texts did I do something wrong mm. that's really tough that's a tough one for me I feel instantly a little peeved yeah I think it's it's hardest on relationships and uh, you know almost every girlfriend I've ever had I've broken up with at the start of a movie or halfway through a movie because of that very thing and my so my dad I want to ask you about something else that's related to this but my dad on a side note does my dad and I are really close my parents and I are really close but he does this really annoying version of that because we talk all the time he calls me at least once a day 
I don't talk to him every day, but he calls me at least once a day. Mm -hmm. And if I don't talk to him, like by day three, he'll start sending me texts because he knows how to text now. Um, I'm worried about you. Is everything okay? Mm. Which is like the version of, are you mad at me? Which is the version of like, um, I'm feeling neglected. Like, yeah. can you? <laughs> yeah, my parents don't do that. My parents barely ever call me. But I do. I talk. I talk. I FaceTime with my dad about you know once a week. My dad and my mom about every Sunday, and uh, and we usually do it. Sometimes it's for five minutes. Sometimes it's for twenty minutes, and it's pretty regular. And my they're very understanding. They're always like, you know, I don't want to get in your way. I don't want. I know you're busy. Blah blah blah. They under, They understand all that. My dad was a very busy guy growing up, so it's uh, it's it's normal in my family for. Uh, the men to go out and be working all the time. James, because you're a writer and a director, do you find the transition between the solitude of writing and then the high, um, because you're, you know, on a set like this, and I would imagine in pre-production, you're suddenly surrounded in pre-production, you know, by, I don't know, 50 to 100 people. And then when you're actually in production, you know, 400 people every day and, constant phone call. I mean, do you find that I would think that would be really hard in terms of just going from a silent internal exploration of like how you're writing your script to suddenly delegating and socializing and I don't know, what do you I, think? I think it's an adequate expression of who I am because I think I have that part of myself that likes to isolate, that likes to be alone, that likes to just do, you know, explore myself and my imagination and play around by myself and have fun. And then I have that other part of me that's very social. So I, for me, the back and forth of that works really well with who I am as a human being. And it's not that crazy. I mean, being a director, it's a strange thing because, yeah, you do have a lot of people that are coming to you. But I also I have a lot of gateways. So I'm really only talking to so many people every day. Well, um, OK, so this is a little this is a little bit of a this is what I was going to open with um, because I was thinking about I, I wanted to I know that this podcast was going to be a little bit uh, different than some of our other podcasts because because you are a director and, you know, we have a lot of actors on our show and comedians. So there's a lot of like, da, 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 you know, yeah, whatever, yeah. like a lot of silly, silly that, sloppiness. But, yeah. but I know that you, you run deep, as, <laughs> as Chris would put it. And, uh, and, and you're an intellectual. And anyway, so I, was, I think the most exciting thing about me doing this podcast is that I am, Chris and I are so close and have spent so much time together. Yeah. Both on the set as collaborators, he's probably my closest collaborator the past couple of years, and offset just hanging out socially. And yet, you and I have bare—I mean, I know. we went to dinner one night uh, as a group, and then we've hung out a couple times. And then the other times that I've talked to you, I've basically been around you and your son. So uh, this is the this is the first time that we've ever actually talked just the two of us with a bunch of other really? people yeah. in the room. Well, yeah. it's a huge honor for me. So I, I was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it will thank and thank you for doing this. And and I got to tell you that Chris is so happy working with you. It really makes a huge difference. I see, you know, he's done a lot of movies now back to back and he's had some great experiences, but as soon as he started Guardians 2, he was had a different kind of joy about him and I felt that and it's really it's really wonderful. And you know, I'm on a show um, in LA, so I haven't been able to uh, be around as much as I've wanted to. But uh, I I know that you guys have had some long nights, you know, 
Yeah, so, I mean, he's just, he, I, you know, I adore him, and, and he is uh, one of the closest things I have to a younger brother, and he's, he's just, he's a great guy. And, uh, and we have a great collaboration, you know, that our imaginations work very well, and we counter each other very well, and we're very, very different in just the right ways, and then the same in the, the right ways as well. And so I think that makes for a great collaboration. Isn't it funny how, um, and he would get annoyed, he told me, he's like, don't, you know, don't like, I don't know, anyway, but he, he, but whatever. But isn't it funny how Chris is easy? It's easy to think of him um, as one type of person. And then to, yeah. when you get to know him, yeah. he really can kind of take you by surprise. Yeah, he really, he's very, I, you know, I mean, in a very simple way, I'd think the most unusual thing about Chris, he's a very serious guy. Yeah. And he is not, and he runs deep. Yeah. And I think that people think of him as this fun guy, who, in which he is. He is a fun guy. But, and, and not to sit here and talk about Chris's personality, but he's a really serious person who's very cerebral. Very, yeah. and, a lot of layers. And that is a, that's a different type of actor to work with uh, than you know, some of the actors, other actors I've worked with who are sort of very id-driven. You know, they're just mm-hmm. kind of present and there and not really thinking. And Chris isn't like that. He's a thoughtful person. We spend a lot of time, and this is the first time this has ever happened to me, but like late at night, like Chris and I will spend a lot of time talking about characters. I'll ask him about line delivery. I'll, we'll, we spend time like collaborating and brainstorming and making up like, like thinking about, you know, ridiculous projects and characters that we want to play. And, um, I've never had that experience before with yeah. another actor Yeah, and it's, it taps into something that, I don't know, it's hugely satisfying for me. But I think to look at him, like, you know, he wears his big cowboy boots and his, yeah. like, uh, America yeah. shirts and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think it's easy to just think that he's one thing. And I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of the best things about him is that how he's kind of slowly, and it's not manipulative at all, but how he slowly kind of reveals uh his his layers his differentness and, yeah. yeah yeah and I, I think you know in a, in a way that's true of a lot of people in the public eye because people start to think of them as this one specific thing and that's what my life is that i'm a this like uber fanatical geek you know and that's sort of my thing that i you know bring the audience but there's all these other aspects of my life that i think about a lot and it's not really you can't you can't really be so public and be exactly what people think you are. It's just impossible. So now, okay. And I promised Chris that I wouldn't talk too much about this. And I know you've talked a lot about this, but I can't help it. He's my husband. I'm super proud. And, um, but in casting of him, cause you yeah. cast him in the game changer yeah. for him. Yeah, sure. It's changed my life. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's had an incredible impact. And I know that he wasn't a likely choice at the time. He was, pretty hefty and mm-hmm. um and you know pretty un- unknown um but i love it that you clearly wanted somebody to play peter quill who had a sense of humor and and uh and i love it that you gave him there i mean there's that i don't know how you feel about it but there's that amazing i don't know how you feel about it going viral but there's that amazing audition piece between uh chris him, him and batista yes. yeah that's 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 it that's how he got the role because it was, I, I saw Chris read. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, people know this story about how I didn't want to see Chris for the role. And I why, didn't why think, was that? I thought he was... I thought he was the like, chubby, funny right. guy from Parks and Rec. I didn't yeah. see it. And, uh, and Sarah Finn, the casting director, kept pushing me until I saw him. And then I saw him, and I knew, and this is 100% true, within 20 seconds of him reading, I knew he was the guy. I Why? Just what it. was it? Um, because, you know, I was looking for somebody who was like Downey was with Tony Stark, basically. Somebody who could fulfill all the words I had on the page, but at the same time brought something extra outside of that to the role. Because just being this charming, funny guy wasn't enough, if that makes sense. Well, and Chris is a natural hustler. And, and a lot of us, I've, he I, totally you is. know, yeah. like he, he knows, he grew up, you know, not very wealthy or anything. And, and he, he was, uh, he's had a ton of different jobs and he knows how to, so he has like that impish, mischievous, hustler quality that that Peter has. Yeah. I also, but I also think it was his, he has a natural vulnerability about him as an actor, which is what makes him a movie star for this time period. Uh, because he, it, he does have a lot of classic movie star stuff. He does have a lot of Gary Cooper type stuff, but he has this vulnerability that is very different from those actors from the past. And that thing is that combined with the fallibility combined with the cockiness. Yeah. That's what made that character. And that's what was so different about him. But it was mostly, it, you know, it was just his charm and he fit into the right role at the right time. And I told people back then, like, as soon as we started going, you know, people would say, what about Chris Pratt? How did you cast, you know, somebody who's not well known for this big role? And I said, Chris Pratt is the biggest movie star in the world. People just don't know it yet. Right. And <sighs> I'm really proud wow. of the fact that I saw that off the bat. I got to tell you, I would do anything for you, James, because I have to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Because I got to tell you, when, when I worked with him, we did we met doing a movie called uh, "Take Me Home Tonight" uh, in 2007 that was shelved for a long time. And but I rem- when I when we were boyfriend and girlfriend in the movie, and um, and sort of offset, I kind of I, I knew he was charming and popular, and and um, you know, and, like an affable guy or whatever. But um, I didn't really take him. I didn't really start to uh, really see him until I started acting with him. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, holy shit, this guy is really fucking good. And it, it like sent goosebumps. Because, you know, I, I, I bring to the table of, of when I do a, a role a, a pretty strong point of view. So I, and, and it frustrates me when, because oftentimes you work with actors who, yeah. who aren't bringing a strong point of view oh, yeah. and they're like right. trying to find it yeah. in the moment and it's like take 20 and you're like just like or whatever but um and and chris brings that you know he brings a really strong point of view as well and i just found that unbelievably sexy just how how good he was and um i don't know it was it was really i i saw i i saw a shift in myself and i remember thinking like Oh, no, this is, he's got, he's got a lot, he's got a huge future. Yeah, I mean, I felt like about, just in the first movie, the biggest thing was just, 
conversely and paradoxically getting Chris to stop entertaining. And if he could stop entertaining, all of a sudden, then he is the most in, you know, rapturing that he could possibly be. It's, it's what it was. Well, James, I owe you a lot. Thank you so much for casting my husband. Okay, so I want to talk to you. Um, I, a brief thing. This is something I've been thinking about. So I had a, I had um, a, a, a male, I won't go into too much detail about this, but I had a guy say to me, a frustrated actor, um, about 2001 after I got Scary Movie, um, he hadn't been working. And he, and I was trying to sort of boost his ego or whatever. And he said something along the lines of, um, but Anna, because you did Scary Movie, you have achieved some kind of immortality. And I thought, oh, for the first thing I was like, oh my God, I hope it's not a fucking scary movie. I mean, I love, listen, I love scary movie, but I just, you know, I don't know necessarily want to like, whatever, <laughs> that, that's my stamp on immortality. But I hadn't really thought about the idea of that kind of achievement in, in, um, I, I, you know, I, I love material things and I love acting and everything, mm-hmm. but I hadn't really thought about the idea of, um, needing to make a stamp, um, or I don't know. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Cause I, I, and, and I, I, yeah. I, I know that it means it's sort of a question and I had Sim write this down because I wanted to phrase it appropriately that where you might have to admit to some degree of vanity. Yeah, sure. You know? I have plenty of vanity. Don't worry. It's like, <laughs> I don't have to admit to some degree. It's, it's, it's been a huge driving force of much of my life. But now that you have, I mean, you have had, you you have an artistic imprint that, you know, will last until the zombies kill us. I, I, even then, they might really yeah. love Gaia. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, I, you know, the thing is, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. It makes absolutely... I mean, yeah, sometimes I want... I'm very competitive, first of all. Like, very competitive. So I really want to make the greatest possible movies I can make. And, uh, you know, with Guardians Volume 2, I want to make the greatest spectacle film ever. Like, that's what I'm committed to. But at the same time, it doesn't make any difference. It's all building sandcastles because eventually we're all gone. Whether we, you know, are gone or go somewhere else, we're gone. And, you know, being immortal means what? Like, how long is humanity really going to last? It's not immortality. And the overall scheme of things, it seems like nothing to me. I don't know if that's like a weird way no, to look at life, I, but I don't. I just, no, I, I think so, it's a healthy way to I'm look so at life. I'm so zen about it. It's really about, you know, it's about the struggle. It's about doing what I feel like I was born to do. It's about really fulfilling what I think my, you know, reason is for being on this planet. And it's about serving other people at the end of the day and, and, and touching other people and making other people's lives uh, a little bit easier because of what we do. And that is what drives me at the core of it all. And then I have this other part of me that, like I said, is really competitive and always has been. Um, and somehow those two things exist in me side by side and they seem like they're opposing, but they're no, really not because it seems the competitive part healthy. of me helps serve other people. Yeah. So, no, I think that's incredibly healthy because it's easy to get wrapped up in the vanity. And we talk a bit about this on the podcast, like the struggle with vanity in, especially in this industry and especially as a woman that for all different reasons and everything. But, yeah. but if, 
you're looking, it's almost like if you're looking for the trophy from this industry, it will just continue to be, it will just always be elusive because you just have to figure, right? Like, yeah, because we're, what you do is, I mean, I think I learned it when I was young and it was, uh, you know, because I've been making movies for 20 years. And so when I was, when I first like walk, walked a red carpet, you know, um, and I'm like, you know what? In practice, this is not fun. Like, this is just, it seems like it's such a great yeah. thing when you're a kid and you imagine yourself walking yeah, the red yeah. carpet and everybody's going to be looking at you and you're going to be so cool. But really, it's just completely sort of humiliating. Oh, and you feel yes. like you're a, an animal. Oh. And then there's always the struggle for they're taking your picture, or the person behind you and the publicists are pushing you around. And the whole thing is just completely humbling and humiliating and not at all uh it's not that exciting and what you when you're looking at somebody who's famous or successful outside of yourself and you're seeing that thing that's the thing you want to be when you're young and you want to be famous and you want to be successful and you want to be rich you're seeing that thing that doesn't exist because it is by its very nature outside of yourself if that makes sense oh completely so it's like that's it's a worthless thing to chase after and that's what I always tell people because people are always telling me, you know, I want to be, I want to be an actor or I want to be a director. I want to be this thing. And I'm like, do you really? Right. Because it's really about, you know, Anna going to set every day and waking up at six o'clock in the morning and sitting there and going through this stuff and not really feeling the glory that other people think you have right? and enjoying that process and yes, getting paid for it, which is great, but enjoying that process enough that it's worth doing and feeling enough fulfillment from doing that, that it's worth doing. And, uh, my dog is going through all your equipment right now. Um, I, and- lo- I love it. No, but no, I don't know. I don't know why you would have ever seen pictures of me on a red carpet, but I get so uncomfortable that all I do is like unhinge my jaw and I just make <laughs> the craziest face faces because I'm so awkward. I don't know how to do. I don't know how to close my mouth and do like the side thing that I'm supposed to be doing yeah. with like the smoky eyes. So as a result, I have these crazy smoky eyes and I just look <laughs> insane and people can see like my back molars and I'm just like, I, like, and I never know how, I never know how to hold my body. I feel cause, because it, like you said, it's like, I, I haven't gotten that character down. It's probably that red carpet I, character. I, I, I mean, how many people do you know that enjoy it? I don't, I can't think of anybody that enjoys doing the red carpet. I don't. So I see. I don't know. I I'm, I know that there are people because there yeah. are people that electively go to premieres that aren't their own. I know, but that's be, no. But they go because of the publicity they get, right? So, but they don't go because they actually enjoy in the moment being on the carpet. I think. I think we just don't know these people, James. But I think they're out there, and they may have a lot of reality television money. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's probably. You're right. There are people that don't. You know have, what I mean? They, like, they're they, so self-centered. They don't even have the awkwardness that comes with looking at yourself enough to say this is so stupid. And yeah. Because I'm with you, Chris, and I, and you know, I mean, we. Uh, I, I I struggle a lot, and it's embarrassing almost to admit it because it sounds very arrogant. But I I struggle a lot with the um, the 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 
the publicity side of the this publicity industry. Side. It's a thing you think when I was a kid, it's a thing I imagine, oh, doing the press junkets and the yeah. this. Dun, dun, and it dun, dun, ends dun, up dun, being dun, the dun. price you pay for everything yeah. else. And the movie coming out is the price you pay for the doing the movie. Yeah. Because the part that's the best is, is the creation of it. Yeah. And the rest of it, you just have to let go. I mean, it does feel good when people like what you do and you get a note from a kid that says, my life changed because of mm-hmm. seeing you know your film. I mean, that makes a great deal of uh, difference to me. But yeah. primarily, it's about having to be in the moment and creating that that project and, and, and the creation of it is the thing that has to turn you on. Otherwise it's not worth doing. And that's why people who want to be actors or who want to be directors, they need to go out there and act and direct and make sure they really like doing it and can handle the rejection, which is huge. You know, there's, this is such a sidebar and Sim might get annoyed with me, no, but no, we, of course were, not. <laughs> we were talking about, um, with an actress in an earlier podcast about the whole, this whole ask her more hashtag ask her more concept. Oh, I don't yeah, know if you've heard yeah. about it. Yes. Yeah. It's about the, yeah. Asking her more than what she wears. Right. Yeah. Which to me is like, it just feels so stupid. It's like, that's the, that's what we're like. That's those are like the twenty seconds that you spend with each journalist that you just have to get it over with. You just have to do it, and if you can just tell somebody what you're wearing, who cares? Yeah. Like, can't we? Uh, I, I don't know. I feel I like the intention. You like ask me hashtag ask me less. Ask me less. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I love the intention behind it. The intention exactly. is pure. But um, but the, but it doesn't really have the movement feels. It doesn't so have the, the performers themselves in mind because it just makes things more difficult for this process we already dislike yeah. doing. Yeah. And it's like, it's not acknowledging, I guess, to sort of the frivolousness of the of, entire of the whole thing. Extravaganza. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, that's a side note. Okay. But I want to hear, okay, now I know, uh, oh, I want to talk to you for hours. Okay. So, um, will you tell us a little bit though about how you, I know this is a story you've probably told a lot, but maybe in your own words a little bit about how um, how you got Guardians and how I know I was shocked to hear that you were going to start a podcast and I love you even more. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> I didn't think I could love you more than uh, than I did already. But anyway, but then shortly after... You- well, I was telling you right, right before we started, I mean, I really was getting to the place in my career where I, uh, you know, I had made a couple of movies. They were lower budget films. One was very critically acclaimed. One was not as critically acclaimed. 
neither one of them made much money. One of them made a little bit of money, the less critically acclaimed one. The other one didn't. And so it was the time with movies when all of a sudden I was like, holy crap, this whole, my whole life I, I thought I was going to be the successful director and I've been working towards that. It was that was just was what was going to happen. And maybe that's not going to happen. And I started saying, you know, I was making money doing some video game stuff. I was making money, you know, doing other things. I was uh, involved with a TV project that I was going to do. And I was like, you know what? It, it, but mostly I felt like a lot of the films just weren't being seen by people and that the movies that really mattered today were these big spectacle films because those were the only movies that people went to the theater to see. And other than that, I might as well just be doing TV because TV is really the media that people uh, you know, are connected to today um, and video games, which people are really connected to. So I, I want to have an audience. So that was what was interesting to me at that time. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, people go to see Marvel movies. And I said this to my agent at the time. I'm like... You know, people go to see Marvel movies, they go to see these big spectacle films, but nobody's going to give me that. They're not going to give me that right now. So I just want to focus on TV and video games and do that. And so I kind of dropped out. And about two weeks later, after I made this big proclamation, um, I got a call from Marvel, who I'd gotten calls from before. I, I knew them and said, you know, we want to pitch you something. Will you come in? And I was like, Ugh, it's all the way down in Manhattan Beach, which is like an hour away from Studio City where I live. And I was like, and I almost said no, because I just, I'm like, I'm not really doing movies right now. I don't know. And plus, they're not going to give me this anyway. And I go down, I go. So in. wait, they, so I don't know how that, that part works. So they want to pitch you and then you, what, what's the process? Then I mean, in all honesty, away- I think 40, no, sorry, I keep not talking to the mic. I think in all honesty, probably 15 directors passed on Guardians of the Galaxy because nobody knew what it was. And they finally get to the list where it's like, oh, James Gunn. So that's really what it is. I mean, I really, my story is not that much different than Chris's with getting the lead, except for we Kevin. We all have a version of Kevin that. Kevin Feige is my me. Yeah. Um, so it was like getting to that place. And yeah, then they had a list of directors that I guess they wanted to talk to about the project. And I came in, I was one of those directors. Uh, they pitched me on this idea of Guardians of the Galaxy. And then are you supposed to, like, like I just don't know how the mechanics work. Are you supposed to take away and then bring back? Like yes. A, okay. The first meeting was them pitching to me. And then if I was interested, the second meeting would be me pitching to them. Okay. And I, they pitched this idea of Guardians of the Galaxy to me. They showed me some initial art they had done from early on. And I knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. I'm a big Marvel Comics fan. Um, but... I thought it was not a great idea for a movie, and I thought it was it was weird, uh, and I really wanted to do something that was big and commercial, and I was like, I don't know, this might be st- stupid, I, and I, I didn't really see it, and so I kind of smiled and shook hands and left and was like, nah, I don't think so, I'm not going to pursue this, and on my way, stuck in traffic on the way home from Manhattan Beach, which took me an hour and a half to get home. All of a sudden, I saw the movie in my head, and I was like, oh, I get it. It was all based around Rocket, and it was like this character that I thought was going to be like, because I thought it was going to be like Bugs Bunny in the middle of the Avengers when they first told it to me, and I'm like, well, wait a second. What if that raccoon was real in some way? Like, if a raccoon really talked, it sounds stupid, but if a raccoon really talked... What would it, how would it be created to talk? And what it seemed to me was like this incredibly sad 
story about this little animal that was taken and messed with to the point where he became a talking murderous raccoon. And it seems so incredibly sad at the center of it that it grounded me. And then the whole sort of visual aspect of it came to me. And I felt as if there was a big hole in modern spectacle spectacle films because everything was so gritty and grimy and either just boring looking or just dirty and grimy. And to bring a movie with a lot of color to it, a lot of excitement, a lot of pop. And I just saw what the movie could be. And it was really those two things. The idea of what where Rocket came from and the idea of visually what the film could be. And I went home and I wrote down this 15-page document about the look of the movie. And I, <laughs> I connected it to all these different artists, uh, Chris Foss and a lot of other people uh, who I'd seen their work in the past. And then it was a reaction against, you know, back when Blade Runner and Alien came out, those movies were very dark and gritty. And from then on, all science fiction movies were so dark and gritty, and that's the way they looked real. Uh, and it became sort of a trope. Uh, because things became serious simply because they were dark and gritty, and to react against that, to create something that was different than that, to give people something that their eyes and brains needed, uh, that also had a lot of heart, and also gave kids something that I had when I was a kid, and I saw Star Wars, and I remember going into the the, the you know supermarket and seeing C-3PO on the cover of People magazine and going, what is that guy? Like, that's the coolest thing. Or seeing Chewbacca and being like, oh my God, what's Chewbacca? You know, what's that hairy dude? I think he's a good guy and he's a monster. And to be able to say, I wanted to create a movie that wasn't like Star Wars, but that you know, make kids feel how Star Wars made me feel feel as a kid. Well, the strength of Star Wars was for me uh, as a viewer and not I'm like not a fan mm-hmm. of of a ton but I was a huge Star Wars fan and I I'm a I'm just a fa- I'm a fan of good interesting movies but mostly a fan of great characters mm-hmm. and what Star Wars had they had great characters yeah. that were very well rounded yeah. and, and specific and developed and um and Guardians the same way I mean that opening sequence I'm you know I mean I'm so biased of course because it's my <laughs> husband um but of Chris, like, I mean, dancing, it's unbelievable. It just fills you with joy. Yeah. And, and it's a dark world. And it's in this dark world where he's dancing and he's yeah. oblivious to the fact that there's skeletons everywhere. Yeah, that's Yeah, really... it's so wonderfully confusing in, yeah. in the best way. Yeah. And that um, was, I mean, that was what, the, you know, in that original document, that was all the contrasts in the movie. The ugliness contrasted with the beauty. And there's always those contrasts in Guardians all the way throughout you know, whether it's emotionally or visually or whatever. And so that was where it all started for me. So I wrote up that document. I gave it to Marvel. And they were like, whoa. <laughs> and then I think it, at that point, it was like five directors. I had to go in. I had to fly into Wilmington to pitch to. And at uh, this point, you're obviously becoming more invested and passionate, I would at imagine. At this time, in all honesty, until that time in my career, I thought all of my successes, and although I didn't have a lot of financial success as a director i had quite a bit of financial success as a screenwriter and i always thought the secret to my success was the fact that i was 100 percent committed and 100 percent couldn't give a shit and that combinate oh my cat's on the table now. i, I got animals everywhere emily please i love that your um, cat's name is emily yeah hi emily wait what's that on the that's a, a GPS because she has a tendency to wander out wow. to try to get away, and she's a skate that artist. Is so awesome. She's not supposed to go outside, but she does so every chance she gets. She's a little Houdini. 
Um, I can't remember what I was talking about. Oh no, it was we were getting to a great story. At, at the, you had had some financial. Oh, success I, as I a always thought. Yeah, I always thought my success was because I didn't care. You know, because I really there's a part of me that's really lazy that doesn't want to get the job because then I have to work. And so, uh, and so, I you know, for the first time in my life doing Guardians, I I cared about you know the the outcome. Come on, Ems. Um, and so then, and so you after a, a vetting. Process, I guess, akin to auditioning as an actor. I think there were, there were like, I was against five directors and I was against three directors and it was down to two people and then it was just me and then I got the gig and I, you know, uh, my agent called me and, and I was at my girlfriend's apartment at the time and uh, they said, you know, you've got the gig and I felt like a, a young girl winning American Idol with the confetti coming down on my head and That's the lights awesome. flashing and the whole bubbles. I have a competitive spirit very much like yours, I think, um, which is like, um, because I'm proud. So if I think, oh, I don't care if Emily's up on the table. Okay. I'm not at all. I love cats. <laughs> um, we've had this argument before, Sim and I. Yeah. Um, in fact, I think that's actually, well, anyway. Um, but, uh, it, but like, if there are things that I just know that I'm not good at, I refuse to do them. Like bowling. Yeah. Or pool yeah or um and all emotion or like even if i have an audition for a role that i don't i don't quite see i don't quite i feel like i don't quite have yeah a good grip on yeah. it i um i'll emotionally distance myself from it uh, even though i'm not even though of course because i'm competitive i want to win everything but i would imagine as especially as like the director pool is shrinking you're still in consideration and your vision keeps growing stronger and stronger for the project how uh, by the time when you got it i must i i would at least as an actor i know how i would feel like i was like, hugely relieved but also excited i mean it was yeah. it, it, it it was really it was great it was one of um, you know those truly happy moments in life yeah that's uh, that's amazing that's awesome okay well congratulations james and you just you did <laughs> You did marvel well. I didn't know I wasn't going to be able to rest for the next five years. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's amazing, and I and I I've been to both sets of um, of the first Guardians, which was unbelievable. Is outside of London. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's huge. And uh, and then here, which is in Atlanta. Um, listeners, we're on the road. I can't remember if I mentioned. No, that. we didn't mention it yet. Uh, we're on the we, road. We got right into we're, it. We're in Atlanta. Uh, visiting Chris and bugging James at his house, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so uh, so here we are. And guess what? Sim had to set up the equipment again all by himself. I have no idea if we're even recording. Okay, so now um, now we're going to do a little bit of a rapid fire. Great. Um, uh, I'm ready. Okay. Go. Uh, at some point, I do. If we have time, I want to talk to you about your directing style, but that's just sure. actory thing. But Good. okay. Um, okay. It's, I, it's awful. I'm awful. <laughs> I didn't see. I didn't see that. I think you're amazing. You know how I pushed everyone. Let's just keep doing it again and again and I again. I love right? that though. Yeah, yeah. I but I want to talk to you more about that if we have time. Yeah. About sure. Um, sure. Okay. Item of clothing you can't bear to part with. If the house is burning, is there one? Piece. Please tell me it's a T-shirt you're wearing right now, which says yes. "Body, Body by, by Cupcakes." Oh, that's Johnny Cupcakes T-shirt. He's gonna love that I that I mentioned him. I love uh, it. I, 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 you're not like that. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, you know, I would just uh, my. You mind, don't have like a listen, T-shirt when that's I was so well worn. When I was that you a, just love. This is this is how I think. When I was a little kid, my grandmother had a really massive, expensive doll collection that she had spent her whole life. 
this you is know, a sad story, isn't it? <laughs> she spent her whole life collecting. And at one point, she took in all her grandkids. I think there were six. I think there were nine of us, nine grandkids. And she took us in, and she said, okay, one by one, you pick uh, the one you want, and then you go back, and then you start back with that. That one per- person gets to pick two, and then go on. And oh, we go on, and you know, I go up, and I'm like, Grandma, which one costs the most money? <clears throat> And she says, that Shirley That's Temple amazing. doll. And I said, I want the Shirley Temple doll. And then my brother comes up and he's like, I want the teddy bear. And my, my sister comes up and she says, I want that cute little Raggedy Ann doll. And then my other, they keep going and going. And then it comes back to me and I go, which is the most expensive up there now, Grandma? And I said, I want that one. And I just picked the most expensive dolls. And so when you ask me what, my most, what, my, what item of clothing I would pull out of my house, it's, I go, oh, I guess a Dolce suit or something because it's worth the most money. Oh, that's amazing. But I would really, if there was a fire, I would only care about my animals. As long as my animals are safe. Mm-hmm. And secondly, probably my hard drive, then I'd be all right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. First concert you attended? Uh, a band called The Motels, who sang a song called Only the Lonely. And I was, I was pretty young, and I, I, an older kid drove me from school, and she was very drunk, the lead singer, and didn't get on stage until like, it, it felt like it was three o'clock in the morning, but it was probably like midnight or something. And I remember calling my dad from a payphone, being like, oh, she hasn't gone on yet. He was like, Jimmy, get home. But I was with my older friend who wasn't going to leave because my dad was angry, and I got in a lot of trouble. So, yeah. Um, last concert you attended? Mm-hmm. The old 97s. Uh, oh, so probably my favorite band. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. When was that? That was right before I left Los Angeles. So yeah. like three years ago. <laughs> like to nine months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most impressive dish you cook? Uh, cream of wheat. I'm really, really good at making cream oh, of wheat. I love a good cream really, of wheat. Oh, it's the best. Do you do a little butter, a little brown sugar? Oh, yeah. A little, little butter, a little brown sugar, 100% milk. Whole milk if it's available. Yeah. Okay. Here's a twist on it too. My mom used to be obsessed with like packing us with protein and calcium. Uh-huh. So she would whisk an egg. Have you ever done this? Uh-uh. You whisk an egg and then, but then you have, because you don't want the egg to cook, it oh turns God. the cream of wheat a little bit yellow. I love Emily. Emily's on the table again. <laughs> Wait, and you, I you put Emily. the egg in there? Okay. So you whisk an egg, right? In a separate bowl. And then you slowly add little dollops of cream of wheat while you're whisking it because so, you don't want the egg to cook. Do you right. want it to become scrambled? So you have to slowly incorporate the egg. And then you eventually, after you've gotten the egg a little bit more incorporated, then you dump it into the cream of wheat and it makes it a little bit yellow. You don't taste the egg or anything. Oh, that's awesome. But it is Okay. Uh, I'm definitely delicious. doing that. Okay. Give it a I've whirl. tried taking like Chinese, uh, like uh, these these flavor packets for soup, like black sesame, oh. and putting that in cream of wheat. Wow! Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool. Wow, I like this. This yeah. is James Gunn cream of wheat cookbook. It's the only thing I can cook. Like, <gasps> Sim, this will finally get our sponsor. Yeah. Cream awesome. of wheat, yeah. They tweeted so me the long. other day. I, I, they tweeted me the other they day, did? and I was like a young girl getting tweeted by Beyonce because that's oh like as exciting. I love cream of wheat so much. Yeah. Um, okay. Would you rather never be able to use Google or any internet search engine again, or have everyone see everything you've ever searched for on Google? Oh. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Oh, I definitely. I guess I'd have to give up Google. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you have a great defense. I have, a, I have an if, assist. I have two assistants. Yeah, <laughs> I could just have search for me. But think hey, about Jake, look up this. Your character defense. Like you could be looking up like I don't anything in the world, and you could still make a fairly strong case that you're looking up for a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, well, Oh yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah. how how yeah, far like, internet porn takes you <laughs> right. into character. What do you call? What do you call like a a menage a trois? Like what do you call like an octagonal? Like if you've got an, eight people having sex, an orgy. That's an orgy, or I it's um, a oh. gangbang, or it could be a bunch of different things. Oh, there, I just wish there was a spectacle. Be, oh like a, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but that, it, it could be a what? <laughs> a bukkake. Yeah, a bukkake. What's that? Oh yeah. Uh, oh come we, on, we don't, inform me. we don't have to get into it. Please. All right, I James, go ahead and explain new. it to Anna. What's what's the, who's listens to this podcast? Nobody. <laughs> no, I mean, but, well, does a bunch of young kids listen to it? Or it's, no, I always tell them to fuck off. It's mostly, okay. it's mostly, yeah, it's like mostly. Uh, it's 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 a kind of Japanese, generally Japanese porn where a bunch of men stand around a woman and have an orgasm on top of the woman. So they do a circle jerk on, <laughs> on top, top of, of a woman. woman. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like fun. <laughs> it's not, you know what? As bad as it is for the woman, like which you, you focus on immediately, you go, oh my God, that's disgusting. I would never want to be one of those dudes. That's disgusting. Do you remember Chat Roulette? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah. So my friend and I used to go on Chat Roulette, and, and there was a time when you could actually like meet a stranger and actually kind of have, there was a very brief window where you could actually like be talking to somebody, some drunk person in, in you know, Yugoslavia, well, yeah. not Yugoslavia, but like whatever, all across the world. And it was, it was kind of fascinating. And then it quickly became a bunch of dudes just jerking off. Yeah. So my friend and I would go on and, uh, and because I was a little annoyed cause I really did enjoy talking to, as you can see, I started a podcast talking to strangers, but, um, we would root for them. We'd be like, go, go, go. You can do it. You can come, go, go, <laughs> go. You can so do it. You watching- can do it. You'd be watching a guy jerking we, off? Our, our hope was that we would annoy them so much that they would... But did they like us. it? <laughs> um, we usually got nexted, I would say, be, between like two to four minutes. Because... That's it, a long it became, time. Because we, we did, it started to sound very mocking. Yeah, it's a lo- it was a surprisingly long time. I know, but I think a lot of guys want that. But we were like, yay, come on, <laughs> you can do it, you can do it, let's go, let's go, rub hard, rub I'm hard. I'm just like picturing a guy, you know... Masturbating, and then all of a sudden he sees Anna Ferris as his cheerleader. Yeah, 
Yay! <laughs> you can right. do it. You can You're do it. You're pretty Let's well known go. by that time. Exactly. I know. That's got to be the strangest <laughs> thing ever. How many guys went to completion? Uh, we. I never saw anyone go to completion. Okay. Great. Mm. I think it was like. I think it was. Fru- we. Our goal was to frustrate them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I talked to a woman one time who uh, worked in one of those booths. You know. Oh yeah. And and she told me a lot of stories that were so disgusting that. Uh, I, I can't. I would imagine some of those guys would really like the "you can do it, you can go" thing. Well, what if <laughs> I told you? It seems like you... the majority of guys that came into that situation were guys that wanted her to be mean to them. Right, right. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, what if I told you that my friend was a guy? Oh, I guess that makes a difference. And yeah. also, kind of a well-known actor. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Was it? It was Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have like these two idiots that are like, yeah. Yay! You yeah, can do it. Yeah, Let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like, I was imagining it was two women. Come on, come on, <laughs> yeah. come on, yeah, yay, yeah. whoopee! Uh, and this guy is absolutely hysterical like, too. Yeah, he's like, "Come on, dude! Come on, man! Rub it out! Come on!" Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll, I, we'll tell you after who it is. It's so horrifying to me to be you guys that I, I can't. I cannot. I'm like, it was my chat. It was my chat. Because I've been revenge. on there for like two seconds. I went on there with my ex girlfriend. And I remember we were trying to pretend we were dead or something like that, so that would come, you know. Uh, but it was, uh, but it, I couldn't really stand it. I get, I get really easily grossed out, which is surprising yeah. considering some Me of the too. movies I make. Really? Oh, e- so easily. So what out. about like, uh, just okay, setting aside sexual stuff? What about like uh, blood and like, could you ever be a surgeon? Yeah, I worked in a hospital. I saw people when I was a kid. I worked as an orderly, and I saw people die and all that stuff. That Whoa. doesn't bother me. But I don't uh, don't like sh- poop, yeah. uh, and I and I especially don't like the idea of poop. So like my, uh, I, I really like the show Togetherness. In my, I do too. My uh, my girlfriend and I were watching it, and we were totally. Uh, she kept laughing at me because I kept showing baby poop, and every time that baby poop came on, I had to turn my head and put my hand against the screen. Because I found it so incredibly disgusting, and it was ruining the whole show for me. And they did it like three times yeah, or four need the times. Insert of the baby poop. Oh, it was so There's gross! It no was so gross. But that's that's the kind of thing. I mean, obviously, it's just pudding or something. What about uh, if somebody vomits? Does that, that like? Well, I don't like that, but I don't think I have the same reaction it doesn't that like gay. other it people doesn't do. Like yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, what sitcom world would you most want to live in? Were you a fan of sitcoms? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I know my answer, but I don't want to... I... I know my answer already. What's what your is your answer? answer Cheers. Oh. oh, that's a but good one. Sit around a dep- bar and hang out. And... They're sort of depressed at Cheers. They're all sort of depressed people. I got, a, I got well, a pretty good one. What is yours? Golden Girls. Florida. Golden Girls. Yeah. Palms. Yeah, that's... Come on, James. I don't, come on, I don't know if I'm come live with me. Gold. Golden Girls is probably not. <laughs> I, I guess Mork and Mindy, I guess, because he's like a spaceman. It's funny. Yeah. All right. Know. All right. That was the first thing that came to mind. No, I love Alf. Alf. Oh, Alf. my God. He's so funny. He I wants do. to eat cats. <laughs> okay. Now we've got a, a handful of uh, Twitter questions. Uh-huh. Uh, three three that we've picked. Um, this is the first time we've, well, maybe the second we've time? We've done it a couple times. Yeah, but this yeah. is a, an amazing response, by the yeah, way. I went yeah. through about we 200 flooded. questions. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I saw them yesterday. They were tweeting it. Oh, right. You, you retweeted it. Yes, yeah, I retweeted it. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so at Gil Daniels wants to know, what's the work slash life balance like on a film set? How many hours of sleep, partying, et cetera, goes on? Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about this. I, but. I honestly, at this point in the schedule, I I get okay sleep. 
Um, but, uh, but I don't do anything else. I like truly don't do anything else. So I wake up at seven, I go to work, I come home usually, uh, you know, I, I try to get into bed, you know, a little past 10, go to sleep, do it again. And that's, that's pretty much my life completely. Maybe, uh, then the weekends, uh, maybe I have one day off that I rest. You do and a podcast. The other day, <laughs> so I do a podcast for fun on that day. <laughs> and then on uh, the other day, I, I usually work. Uh, and as it gets closer to the ending, though, we're in the halfway point, so it's actually the most difficult part. But as it gets closer to the ending, it gets a little better because some of the planning goes away. So the after-shoot meetings start to die down. The weekends start to die down. So it becomes easier as you get near the end of the shoot. And then editing, I love. That's more like a real job. Mm-hmm. You know? But that's tough to be in a dark room, I, I think. No, I but know. it's only... You love it. There, I don't spend you know, 12 hours a day in the editing room, you know, oh, that's good. Okay. You know, it's like, I, you know, I go in there, I, I give all my notes, I step out for a couple hours, I go back, I give a bunch more notes, I sit with them to make specific cuts and it's, you know, many hours a day, but it's just, it's not the same thing. I get to go out to dinner and at like night lunch, and things right? like that. Yeah. That I can't do now. Um, okay, at Dak Shepherd one <laughs> I, I, I just adore you, Dax. Um, wants to know, do you have any room in that beautiful franchise for a lanky doofus? <laughs> I, I actually responded to him on Twitter, you and did? I said, we always have room for lanky doofuses. So I, I think Dax is What about is short a, blonde doofus? Yeah, we have, well, we definitely have room for that. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to do a caller. Okay, great. 